This podcast was brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. How much do we really know about our scientists? What goes on inside of those brilliant minds? To solve this enigma, I interviewed lung experts from around the world to hear about their research, but also to find out what inspired them to dedicate their lives to advancing human health. So, let's ask the scientists. In today's episode, our special guest is Professor Benjamin Marsland, who is the head of the Respiratory Immunology Laboratory at the Department of Immunology and Pathology at Monash University in Victoria, Australia. The research focus of Ben's group revolves around the role of the microbiome in the gut, lung and skin, and in particular, how the microbiome can influence respiratory health and disease. In part one of this episode, we get to hear about the cutting-edge microbiome research being conducted in Ben's group. And in part two, we get an insight into Ben's career pathway and he provides thoughtful advice for scientists. So make sure to listen in to both parts. I'd like to welcome to the show, Professor Benjamin Marsland. Welcome, Ben. Hi, Luxani. Thanks for having me. Before we start talking about the research your team is involved in, I want to take it right back to the beginning to know what motivated you to become a scientist in the respiratory field. Look, I, I really fell into it. I thought I should be doing computer sciences, but I somehow ended up doing a biology degree. Uh, and then I did my PhD at the Maligan Institute of Medical Research in Wellington, New Zealand. And I think that was when I really decided that research was for me. Um, we started working on the lung and how viruses drive exacerbations of asthma. Uh, and I was really struck by how interesting it was, how much was unknown. I liked the translational aspect of that. So it was very late um, in the game, I guess, that I decided I wanted to be in research. Uh, and then by default that I started in the respiratory field, um, but once I was there, I never questioned that I was never going to leave it. Um, well, we've branched out a little bit. I think there's so much to understand and to, um, to do with lung research that uh, I'm very happy to be here now and, and don't doubt it. You spoke about asthma, and I just want to touch on that. I've read that in Australia alone, one in 10 children suffer from childhood asthma. And I want to get your take on why do you think that incidence is so high? And is this a problem isolated to the Western world? It is a, uh, a disease which is more prevalent in Western societies. Um, the main hypothesis which has been talked about for a long time now is, is that our change in lifestyle, um, our improved hygiene, our changes in diet, um, all lead to an increased susceptibility to some of these diseases like, like asthma. Uh, it's unlikely to be a genetic change because these increased incidents um, has happened uh, too quickly. With this change in lifestyle, we're also uh, exposed to a lot of um, allergens in the absence of other types of factors which might educate our immune system. So I can certainly say in Switzerland and Australia, where I've had my most recent experience and asthma rates are very high, that allergen exposure is also very high. There's a lot of pollen and dust around um, which people are hyper-reactive towards. So 
Some of it's lifestyle and some of it might be environmental. But in developing countries, we're also seeing trends now where these diseases are, are increasing. Um, and that goes hand in hand with changes in lifestyle and diets. So I think it adds more weight to these environmental changes, changing our susceptibility to asthma. And my view on that is um, education of our immune system is, is really key to that. So a lack of appropriate maturation and education of our immune system leaves us predisposed to developing the types of responses um, we do against, against allergens. Can you elaborate on what you mean by educating the immune system? Well, the local environment in which a cell resides um, and the tonic signals that are received from the likes of metabolites or cytokines uh, or even direct contact with microbes determines how the cell will function. This is somewhat of an oversimplification, but a less mature cell, for example, from a newborn uh, that hasn't been exposed to microbial signals might be naturally more prone towards responding to an antigen by mounting a type 2 inflammatory response, which is what allergic responses are. Um, whilst a mature cell that has had tonic exposures to microbes, for example, via the resident microbiome, is more likely to mount a protective type 1 response or a tolerogenic response and thus not respond to allergens in a harmful way. So does that mean that we can ultimately, by modulating our microbiome, we can in a way reprogram our immune system? I think so. Uh, I think that the crosstalk between microbes and the host is, um, hold, uh, holds a lot of potential for educating our immune system and um, preventing disease development. There's some thought that... Um, the most effective time would be in early life as our immune system is maturing. If we were able to shape the microbiome early in life, whether that be by administering microbes or by creating an environment which particularly suits some microbes, for example, in the gut with diet or on the skin, perhaps by certain lipids or some sort of skin treatment which um, allow, creates a habitat and environment which suits healthy bacteria, um, we can educate the immune system in such a way that it will be appropriately responding to both allergens in the case of um, uh, allergy and atopy, um, but pathogens as well. Uh, we don't want to be in an immunosuppressed environment. We just want to mount an appropriate response. Uh, and microbes seem to be able to do that. They can set the set point of the immune system in such a way that it's non-responsive to allergens, but it's appropriately responsive to infections, at least in mouse models. Um, and I think going forward, that would be the ideal if we could control that early in life and set kids on a trajectory towards health as opposed to increase susceptibility to either um, allergic diseases or susceptibility to, to infections. I know you mentioned uh, the word microbe, and so that's also a part of a bigger word, which is the microbiome. Your name has become incredibly synonymous with the word microbiome. Can you describe what the human microbiome is and its importance? The microbiome is all of the bacteria, the viruses, the fungi, the phages, the um, parasites, helminths in some cases, um, which uh, live and reside in our body. Uh, and current estimates um, are in the range of we have the same number of microbes as we have cells in our body, or perhaps we have three times the number of microbes that we have cells in our body. So, so we have this huge microbial burden 
um, and all of our barrier sites, that being the skin and the gut uh, and the lung. And we've known for, for years and years and, uh, that microbes have an impact on our body. Uh, they have an impact on how cells um, behave. They have an impact on uh, whether diseases develop or not. Most of the research has been focused on the gut. Um, and that makes complete sense because the gut is where the uh, huge burden of microbes are. Um, and it's really been uh, in more recent years where uh, the field has expanded to not just look at the microbiomes or all of the, the microbes in our gut, but also the microbes in our, on our skin, in our uh, lungs, for example. Uh, and so the field is now developing to understand how the microbes at those sites influence disease at those sites. But also, and I think really importantly, is how the microbiome in one site, such as the gut or the skin, can have an impact on diseases in other tissues. This uh, crosstalk between microbes and the host and throughout the body is, is something I think is uh, really starting to explode and could be really powerful for um, the development of new therapeutic or preventative approaches. What have been some of the biggest challenges in accurately studying the microbiome? especially within the lungs? The, the challenges have been mitigated somewhat by the ability to do high throughput sequencing. Um, so historically, we were reliant upon culturing bacteria in particular, uh, and it's very difficult to reproduce the habitat of the gut or the skin or the lung on an agar plate. So when um, high throughput sequencing approaches became far more accessible, um, it, it's allowed the field to uh, develop and understand much more about the microbiome. Now, in places like the gut, where the microbial burden is very high, uh, it hasn't been difficult to amplify and sequence microbial DNA because there's so much of it. Um, in places like the lung, where the biomass is very low, uh, that's been a lot harder. So it's really groundbreaking work 10 years ago, which described the lung microbiome because historically it was thought to be sterile uh, but in fact by no means is it sterile it has a um, microbiome which changes um, with age and changes with um, health and disease but the difficulty there due to that low biomass is the potential for contamination whether that be from uh, the kits which um, are used to extract and amplify dna um, or from the way to sample, for example, the lower respiratory tract, which involves coming via the upper respiratory tract. So um, particularly as the field has been developing, there's been uh, pro um, protocols that have needed to be developed to work with low biomass samples and to have appropriate controls. Uh, that has certainly slowed uh, the de development in the field, but I think the field is, is well-placed now to be um, dealing with low biomass samples um, to rigorously assess the uh, controls to make sure that what has been detected um, is real and is, for example, representative of the lower respiratory um, tract. So, th so with that platform now, many more questions can be addressed. And the other side of this um, is the bioinformatics. Uh, now, as we have the sequences coming from the microbiome, those sequences need to be aligned to databases which tell us that sequences from bacteria X, Y, or Z, for example. 
Uh, and those databases and the bioinformatic pipelines have really matured in the last few years, and it's a rapidly evolving area. And I think those bioinformatic tools are allowing us now to address questions more rigorously, but also expanding the types of questions um, that we can, can ask. So controls, high throughput sequencing, and bioinformatic advances over the last few years has really helped the field move on. One of your research goals is to prevent children from developing asthma. And you are hoping to achieve this in a novel way by harnessing the microbiome on the skin of babies. Can you tell us a bit more about how the skin is involved in developing a strategy to prevent a respiratory disease? I'd, I'd really like to know a bit more about how you're actually going to undertake such a study. The skin is one of our biggest barrier surfaces. Um, so it's either could be seen as just as a um, neutral barrier that just keeps things away, um, or uh, I guess what we really need to see it as is an organ where you have different types of cells responding to stimuli. You have microbes which are present to that site. You have uh, barrier protection, but you also have responses against both environmental and uh, infectious um, uh, pathogens or uh, microbes. So it's a, it's a dynamic environment. This environment changes a lot from uh, birth. When you think in utero, it's a fluid sac where um, the skin is completely exposed to amniotic fluid um, through to birth where it's um, suddenly exposed to air and a lot of changes occur to barrier integrity over that time. And at the same time, the immune system um, is developing. So we're, we're interested in that process. Uh, we've been involved in um, both human birth cohort studies uh, and we have mouse models where we can address um, how environmental exposures relate to immune maturation and how that can ultimately lead to disease or not. We think that um, microbes on the skin are very important at educating our immune system in the skin. And as a consequence, uh, when we're exposed to an allergen, for example, on the skin, some people uh, will ignore it. Um, others will become sensitized to it. We might see um, atopic dermatitis developing, for example. Uh, often babies go through phases where they have a, a, a rash for some reason and it just goes away. They don't develop eczema or atopic dermatitis, but their skin is very uh, responsive to environmental um, cues and, and exposures. Now, people, why people do develop atopic dermatitis um, could well be linked to, or is well linked to some genetic factors, but that doesn't answer everything. For example, filaggrin mutations where you have an impact and barrier functionality can increase um, colonization of the skin by, by bugs, but also the systemic exposure to allergens which might not otherwise uh, reach our systemic immune system. Um, so genetic mutations or perhaps a defect in skin barrier due to age or um, certain types of microbes or infection could also lead to systemic sensitization to allergens. And at least what we can see in mouse models is when the tissue barrier is disrupted and the immune system is at a mature state, exposure by, um, to allergens through the skin leads to a local inflammation, but it also leads to a systemic priming. So you're starting to educate T cells and B cells to respond to those allergens. Now through mechanisms we don't understand completely, 
But if you're exposed to those same allergens now in the lung, for example, you already have the immune machinery to respond to those allergens. And in, at least in mouse models, that can lead to an increased sensitivity to, to asthma, increased asthmatic responses, because you're systemically primed due to a skin barrier defect. And that then translates into other organs. In terms of a therapeutic for asthma, based on what you have just said, then how, where would the intervention be? Would it be directed towards the skin rather than the lung? I think the skin holds real potential for um, interventions. It may or may not be the only or best way to prevent the development of um, asthma, for example. Um, one advantage of skin interventions is that it's uh, easy to translate. It's not hard to convince parents, for example, to put something on the skin of babies as compared to having to inhale something or consume something. So the barrier to translation um, is a bit lower. We don't know if this is going to be efficacious or not. There was a study which we were part of but was led in, um, uh, in Oslo and Norway and uh, work in Sweden um, called the Prevent Adult Cohort, which just published a paper in Lancet uh, this month. And as part of the intervention for that um, birth cohort, uh, skin emoluments were um, given to babies. So essentially they, they were bathed in oil or the barrier, the barrier, skin barrier of these children was attempted to be improved by uh, putting on creams and oil. The first data that's come out of that study showed that at one year, that protection of the barrier did not um, have a beneficial effect on the development of atopic dermatitis, so it wasn't protective. We don't yet know, because the children aren't old enough, whether it will be protective against food allergies or development of asthma. Um, that's something uh, we'll see in the, in the coming years. Um, even though that first data is negative with respect to atopic dermatitis, I think the concept is still very important. It'll be interesting to know whether, although it may not protect the skin, whether it can protect the lung or, or the gut against food allergies. So that's work that's still to come. The good thing about the skin is that at the same time, these uh, somewhat simple interventions are being tested. Um, we're also able to understand more about the skin immune response and barrier integrity and hopefully going in a, in a preclinical setting, and hopefully going hand in hand, we're going to understand much more about how the skin barrier could be harnessed to prevent systemic diseases or lung diseases such as the lung. That concludes part one of the Ask the Scientist podcast session with Professor Benjamin Marsland. Make sure to tune in to part two to hear all about Ben's career and his great advice on navigating the biomedical research space. Also, we get to learn more about Ben as he takes on the 10 rapid-fire questions.